Now, I, I've talked a couple times uh, about it before, but I, I have some strange hobbies. Uh, one, one of them is uh, a hobby that actually created like the most epic nap in my life. Now, I don't know if you've ever finished doing something and be like, man, I need to sleep like right now. Yeah, I mean, it's like yesterday. Yesterday was that. No, um, the first time that I went spearfishing while scuba diving, it wasn't just my first time spearfishing, but it was my first time ever going as deep as I went. And so I went 60 feet underwater, and I was working harder, chasing fish around, trying not to shoot myself with a spear gun, like for the first time. And, and there's anxiety in that, but there's also just like physical pressure. Because when you're under 60 feet, I mean, like, nitrogen can build up, and you have, you have to, it's not like a dangerous place to go. You could still go straight to the surface if you really had to and be okay. But, but there's a physical toll that kind of builds up on you. And there's so many people, and I could kind of understand the perspective of, like, why would you even go down there? Like, why would you do that? Like, of course you're tired because, like, that, that's something only crazy people do. And, and, okay, maybe a little bit, but, man, I'm going to tell you, you see stuff at 60 feet under that you don't get to see at ankle deep. You hear sounds at 60 feet under that, that you're never going to hear at 6 feet or 10 feet underwater. I mean, just even the, the visual of a Goliath grouper that is like 8 to 10 feet long, swimming just in the distance, or it comes close to you, and then when it swims away, it makes this, it's like an oil drum, or like a bass drum going boom like when it decides to swim away in the water. It, there, there's so many fish that I've seen down there that I, I don't know the names of and that I'm surprised by the way that they look. There's things that when you get deeper that they're just experiences that you can't have at the top of the water. But, but the first time that I did this, man, after scuba diving, and I was like, oh, I love this, I love this, and we're on the boat ride home, and I'm like, I don't know if I can drive home. <laughs> I, got, I might have to take a nap in the car. Like it was so exhausting. I, I got home and I, I told my wife, you know, I'm going out on the boat um, with my friends for, for four hours today and then I'll come home and I'll help get the house cleaned up and do some stuff and be around. And I got home and I was like, I'm sorry. Like, but but I, I've got to just crash for a couple hours or the rest of the night through the night. Like I was exhausted. I loved what I did, but I was exhausted. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask your permission today to, I might, I might lightly step on some toes today. And I'm going to ask your permission to go ahead and step on those toes. Uh, to, to be pastored is to be known, to be loved, and to be challenged. And those are all decisions that you make. You get to decide whether I get to know you. You get to decide whether or not you can find out that we love you here. And you get to decide whether or not you receive these challenges for me. And a lot of the times I will lean on the known and the loved. And I believe God's word is always challenging. But I know that today's message, we're looking at the life of Jesus. We're looking at the story and the experiences of Jesus. There's a reading plan that goes along with this. We're 50 days. I want you to get to know the person and the story of Jesus Christ. And, and today we're looking in, into Ma Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And, and some of this is going to, I think, kind of surprise you a, as we get into this, be, because there's some familiar story here. You've probably heard this story, but there's some pieces of this that we kind of just roll right by, and, and we don't really realize. Like starting off, uh, we're going to be at chapter 4, verse 1. Starting off, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I like being led by the Spirit. I like when God shows me stuff. That, that's fun. Into the wilderness 
wait, what? <laughs> Doesn't sound like a comfortable place to go. To be tempted there by the devil. Wait, hold on. Let's just make sure we understand the sequencing of this correctly. The Spirit is leading Jesus to go out into the wilderness, away from comfort, away from people, away from provision, away from food, away from security. And he's leading him to a place where he's knowingly going to go through difficulties and temptations and trials. Like, like God is actually directing Jesus out into this place where it's not going to be comfortable, it's going to be challenging, and it's going to be difficult. Because we think about the story of Jesus facing the temptation, and yeah, he went out there and it happened. But do you recognize that, that in the story of the life of Christ and in so many other biblical characters that we have, the things that God called them to, the places that God called them to, the activities that God called them to, were not always comfortable. They weren't always easy. And they weren't always quick. In verse 2, for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted. And he be, this is the most obvious passage in all of Scripture. He, for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. That's not a shocking statement, is it? 40 days, 40 nights, no food. He became very hungry. Why, why include that last little detail, you know, the very hungry? Well, one of the simple things in this, and we're going to kind of unpack this, and we're going to unpack verses 1 through 10, kind of section by section, is he was human, and, and we don't want to see any confusion about this, that, that Jesus was fully man, and he was fully God, that he experienced temptation, he experienced hunger, he became very hungry. I know that when I'm at the table at a restaurant, my food cut, takes longer than 10 or 15 minutes to hang out, it's easy for me to start to lose my salvation, like in that moment, like, like let alone 40 days. 40 days in biblical times, they recognize that when you are hungry, when you go without food, it begins to affect your decision making. It, affects to, it begins to affect your response. It begins to, ref, to change the way that you care for other people because hunger, it, it turns into the hanger thing. And so here Jesus is, he's out in the wilderness and he's been called to go here by God and for 40 days and 40 nights he's there. And this is reflective of a couple things. For long periods of time throughout the Old Testament, the number 40 is a common one where, where it just seemed like that, that's what God did in different situations. Moses, before he received the law, he was out there and he was fasting for 40 days. Elijah fasted for 40 days. And Jesus follows the, this, this tradition that's in there. It, it's also, especially as he goes out into the wilderness, it's somewhat reflective for me of, of like the Israelites who wandered not for 40 days, but for 40 years. They were out in this difficult place. And, and there's some different reasons, and we'll actually talk about that as we get towards the end of the, the message of, of the Israelites 40 years out in the wilderness. But, but Jesus, he, he was out in this place where God called him to be. He became hungry. And then he began to face temptation. I'm going to unpack this as we go through this whole section. But this is probably where some pressure on toes are going to begin to be felt. Right now, in your spiritual life, in the way that you live for God, how much pressure is on your shoulders? How far have you dove in to what God wants you to be doing? Because scripturally, we see case after case, example after example, these people who walked through difficult and challenging times. And we've, 
as the American church, we've kind of slipped into this culture that, that says, you know what, it shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be difficult. It shouldn't feel like it's hard on my heart or hard on my body or hard on my time to serve God with my life. And this is why so much of the church has diminished because we've tried to create a Christianity that is around this culture of just everything's easy. And then when you have these moments where it's like you hear from God and God begins to ask you to do something that's difficult, you're like, whoa, this isn't, this isn't what I expected. This isn't what I signed up for. And so Jesus is out here, and then it's going to continue in verse 3. And when he's out where God called him to be, during that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This temptation, and as we get into temptation, I want to give you a working definition for temptation because we often just think of it of like certain sins. But temptation is very simply, it's an invitation to embrace self-interest. Temptation is always an invitation to embrace self-interest where I'm going to put my own needs over the needs of other people. I'm going to put my own pleasure over the, the needs of the people around me or over my integrity. I'm going to put my own pleasure over the commandments of God and what God has asked me to do. Temptation, like, you, when we talk about temptation, we don't ever really think about, like, you know, I was tempted to be more generous. Like, I was tempted to serve other people more. And that was tempting, but I opted not to. Like, that's not the way that we talk about temptation. It's not the way we understand it. Temptation is always the, the kind of, the, the gravity towards the easy road in life. Temptation, in, in this case, you know, the devil was kind of calling back to the creation story. Use your words. Like, if you are the son of God, begins to question Jesus' identity and just suggest, you know, maybe you're not. If you are the Son of God, though, then you could just speak and the, these stones would become loaves of bread and you wouldn't be hungry anymore. I mean, that, that would fix the, the situation. Jesus had the power to do that. Jesus had the power to provide for himself. If you think back to the Israelites when they were in the wilderness for 40 years, God provided manna from heaven for them. He provided food and water in so many miraculous ways. Jesus could have made his situation more comfortable with a word. But then he would have been using his divine nature just for his own, his own sake and his own pleasure. And that's not why he came to earth. I mean, time after time, Jesus showed, I'm starting something new. I'm doing something new. Where, you know, in the, his, in, in the past and throughout history, we've seen that when people have great power, they use that power from themselves. And Jesus was this stunning example of someone who had ultimate power but continued to pour his, his gifts, his life, his blood, and his body out for other people. And, and Jesus began to shift this. And Jesus made this statement to him. No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but every word of God. And, and when we hear that every word of God, we immediately think of the teachings of scripture, which is true. But the original language in here, it's more inclusive than that. It's just not scripture, but when it says every word, it means the things that he speaks to you that you should be doing. The callings that he places in front of you and the opportunities that he gives you. And so when we see this where it says, I live by every word of God, it's not just about the teachings and the ways that, that scripture lays out, but it's also the opportunities, the callings, and the purposes that God has placed on your life. That this is like, he, he, he compares it to nourishment to the soul. 
And this is why I believe, this is one of the reasons we have so many unsatisfied Christians around America today, is because they've been going through life looking for those easy roads, passing on the opportunities where it's gonna be challenging, it's gonna be difficult, it's gonna be strenuous, it's gonna have cost, and so they haven't been feeding on these opportunities and these callings that God has given them. And, and we, we, they've taken the, this easy road away from it, and so they, they haven't lived off of these things, because this is the truth, that when you step into those times where it's like, man, this is harder than I thought it would be, I mean, yeah, it's hard, it's challenging. There's times where when you step into ministry, you're gonna see things that break your heart. But at the same time, you're gonna look at that and be like, man, I'm so thankful that God gave me the opportunity to have some influence here. I'm so thankful that God is speaking through me, even though I don't deserve to have him speak through me. He spoke through me, and I love that. And there is a joy, and there is a passion, and there's a purpose that cannot be found in anything else around you in this world when we're fulfilling the role and the purpose and the calling that God has given us. And, and if, you haven't, if you haven't found that yet, if you haven't seized that yet, you're, you're gonna run from thing to thing in life, from hobby to hobby, from drug to drug, from person to person, trying to fill this void that has been designed in you that can only be fulfilled by God's calling. And, and, and you're gonna continue to say, oh, maybe this is it. This is so exciting. No, that's not it. And you'll move on. And the place that you're really gonna find that nourishment, that fulfillment, that wholeness is when you allow yourself to discover what God has called you towards, towards the, the identity that he has given you. You know, I've made the, the comparison before and it just, it works in my mind that, you know, it's kind of like a vending machine. We're, we're all familiar with vending machines, even though they get more complicated. When I use this, I like to think of the vending machines that we grew up with, where like you put the money in, and then that little corkscrew turns, and half the time it gives you your, your food, and half the time it doesn't. And, and even, even though you know it's a risk, like you, you want the snack, you've got to play, and so when it gets stuck, and it, it's not doing what it should, you know, you bang on it, you shake it, you yell at it, you kick the glass, kind of hoping it'll break, kind of hoping it doesn't. Like, you're like, I put in my coin, I want my prize, give it to me now. That's what a vending machine's supposed to do. And we've taken this sort of understanding and we've turned this relationship that we're supposed to have with this authority figure, this loving heavenly father, and we've said, you know what? I've done what I'm supposed to do. You're supposed to give me good stuff now. I prayed a prayer and I asked, and you're supposed to give me the job I want. You're supposed to give me the house that I want. You're supposed to give me the spouse that I want. You're supposed to change the spouse that I wasn't supposed to marry and I ignored you into the person that I want them to be at even though I ignored you for so long. You're supposed to do these things because I asked, I put my accorder in, give me what I want, it's about me. And we flipped this relationship on top of its head as if God is our servant. And this is the temptation that, that was kind of happening here, was use your powers to serve yourself. Make it about you. And so much of our faith in America ha has gone to this way. It's like God should be serving me, and if God doesn't serve me correctly, he's broken. And, and this, is, this is one of the first points that I, I want to make about the things that we want. If all you want is God, you'll always have all that you want. This is the scriptural calling for our desires and our passions that when we put God in the first place, and I worded this in this way specifically, that when all that we want is God, and we say, I don't need these things anymore, that's usually when those things show up in our life. And it's not that we want to want God because he'll give us these things. Like that when our heart really is about him, he supplies the things that we need. 
But when we chase after these things and we put them before God and we try to do things our way, that's when things become a mess. And so church, this is is the calling today is begin to look at what is the first place in your life? What is God wanting for you? And it may come at a cost of other things in your life. But when we make him number one, when we give him the authority and we're not trying to give him commands, when we're not telling him what he should be giving us, that's when things line up. You know, it's interesting that after this time in the wilderness, the, the first public miracle that Jesus did, he was actually at a wedding, and he did something almost similar to what the devil asked him to do here. The devil said, hey, turn th- this, these stones into bread for yourself so you'll have nourishment if you're the son of God. And then Jesus was at a wedding, and they ran out of wine. And, and he took water, and he turned it into wine. I mean, it's two similar things. What's the difference? One, he was being told, do this for yourself. And one, he looked at a situation and said, this is for someone else. This is for the bride and the groom. And also because his mama told him he should do something. So he did. Which is a great thing to realize. Like, we we all would probably be in a little bit better spot if we followed Jesus' example and, and we listened, if we said yes to our mama and said no to the devil a little bit more. Uh, and, and I mean, it, it's just the, this, this interesting situation that the two, they're just so similar. But you see the heartbeat behind it. And God is always interested in the heart behind what's going on. And you know this and you appreciate this whether or not you're a Christian because you've seen, like some people, they get out and serve, but man, they want to make sure everybody knows that they served. And they want to talk about it for, for days on end. Like, did you know what I did? Like, did you hear about what we did? Did you hear about how much money we gave? Did you, did you know we gave that away? And they talk about it, and you're like, yeah, I know why you gave it away too. Like, you make that obvious. The heart behind it matters to us too. But when we catch someone, it's like, you know, they, they donated in secret. They, they served, and people were talking about serving, and they didn't talk about it. And it's like, you know, man, that person served more than anyone else in that conversation. They didn't even say anything. Like, we know that we enjoy seeing that in people. God cares about the heart behind why we do things. And so when Jesus, see, you know, uses these gifts that he has and he, and he makes water into wine for someone else. That's right in line with the heart of God. And so the temptation was there, you know, take care of yourself. And, and Jesus said no, and he, and he continued to go on. And then we see this next temptation in, in verse five. We'll pick up the passage. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Now I want to clarify something because as we read this, and maybe we've seen some old TV shows in the past where it it makes it seem like, you know, when, when Jesus went, that like he magically appeared like up on the top of the roof of the temple. And that's not really what the text is implying. It's more implying that they walked there. And it's also talking about the southeast corner that overlooks what was known as the Kidron Valley. And, and this was designed and the temple in that corner was placed in a way that it, it's one of those really high peaks. If you've ever been up on top of a skyscraper and you've got on the edge and you look down and you felt a little bit dizzy, a little bit scared and you had to step back, that's what the southeast corner that overlooked the Kidron Valley was like. I mean, it was known in the, in the ancient, near, ancient writings that, that it would make people dizzy as they stood there so they wouldn't stand there that much. 
And so it describes looking out over this valley. And, and, and as he's looking, it, he says, you know, if you're the son of God, jump off. And, and then the devil actually quotes part of a passage to Jesus. You know, he, he will order his angels to protect you and hold you up. What he's quoting is from Psalm 91, but he left out a, a pretty key part because it says that, you know, he'll send his angels to protect you to, and to guard you in all your ways. And it's talking about walking in the ways of the Lord. And, and I just want to hop into that passage for just a second because there is a truth that when we begin to try to walk in the ways of God, that it's like we experience God do things more and more. Like obedience leads to, to blessing. Obedience leads to more obedience and God sees he can trust you he can entrust more to you so much of Jesus teachings talk about that 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 you know to 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 the one who has one talent and turned it into or has three and turned it into three more that that more will be given to him that that he who does much with what he's been given will be entrusted with much more who's faithful with the little things will be in will be entrusted with great things that there's this issue of as you walk in your ways walk in the ways of God God will continue to entrust more and more to you that the small choices that we're making, that, that they matter. And that's what that passage is teaching. But he just teaches the part of it that says, you know, that God will protect you. And, and Jesus looks and says, you know, this is, this is what Scripture really means. is You don't test the Lord your God. You don't walk outside of his ways. You don't throw yourself off of a temple to try to prove a point. And this was the other thing. The devil was kind of tempting him. Hey, you'll, you'll, you'll really put on a show. People will really take notice of you. And... I just want to encourage you, we're, we're going to talk about this through the next section, but God doesn't need our help. Like we, God doesn't need us to change the ways that something should happen. He's told us the way that he wants things to happen, and he wants us to, to follow through what he said. Um, it, like Proverbs 3, 5, 6 kind of echoes the, the passage in Psalm 91, 11, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own, lean not on your own understanding, but in, acknowledge him in all your ways. This thing of trusting God, following in his ways. And, and in verse 8, uh, the last temptation comes in and it says, Next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. In verse 10, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve, him, serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Now this is a really interesting conclusion. This is, you know, the peak of the story as they're on the mountaintop and they look over and they, he's given this vision of all of the nations. And some people take this to, to mean the nations around Judea right there. And some people take it to be all the nations that ever will be and seeing them in their glory as if a vision before him. And the devil says, look, all of these nations could be yours. This is what you came here for anyway, Jesus. You want their attention. You want their affection. You want them to follow you. I will make it happen if you just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, you know, it's written, we only bow down and worship the Lord. So often in our lives, we look at the, the purposes that God wants to accomplish, the things that we're called to do, and, and we say, you know what, I know that God would want me to do it this way, but, um, you know, God, God, 
I, I know that I should fill out my tax forms honestly, but if I just change a few numbers, then I can give a, a larger percentage of it. You know, when I decide to start giving, I could take that and I could give it to the church. And so it's really going to help you if I just, you know, change these numbers. God, I know that, you know, you, you've called me to serve in this area, but, you know, I, I think that it's really going to be of more help if I, if I go invest over somewhere else. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you, but I'm going to tell you the way that I'm going to help you. I mean, th- this was one way Jesus could have maybe got to his purpose. You know, I, I could have, he could have had all the nations. So, you know, not a really good source, but so Satan says, if you do it this way, just do it this way. Just do it a way different than the way that God's asking you to. I hear so often people say, you know, I, I want to help, but I, I don't really want to be locked in. I, I want to help, but I, I kind of just want to do it my way. I know you guys do it this way, but I want to just help in the way that I want to help. And I think that that's a good move from not wanting to do anything. It's a good first step. But I think that you're going to find in your life and as you follow God that God isn't asking for your help. He's asking for your obedience. And this is the third point. God isn't asking for your help. He's not asking for you to do it your way. He's asking you to follow what he's asking you to do. And this is true just across the board. Like some people come to me and they ask, you know, Paul, what, what should I do? What should I start doing around Gulfside? And one of my first questions is, what is God putting on your heart? Where is God calling you to serve? People ask me, how much, how much should I give? What should I give to Gulfside? What is God putting on your heart? What is God telling you to give? And especially in the areas of serving and giving, I'm going to tell you, I know God well enough that, that I don't believe he's going to tell you to not serve, and I don't believe he's going to tell you to not give. Because through both of those means, that's how we have a greater impact on this city. And I don't care, it, do, it, doesn't, it doesn't change my heart towards any one of you, whether God's putting it on your heart to give a dollar a month right now and serve one Sunday out of every eight or, or if he's calling you to do something larger and extravagant. That doesn't matter. The thing that matters to me is, are you being obedient to what God's calling you to do right now? Band, if you guys would make your way up to the stage, I'm going to begin to wrap this up. One of the other points that, as we wrap this up, you know, and, th- and this is probably the, the last, as gentle as I can, step on your toe, um, that, that's going to be part of this message, but I, I just I believe that God um, is speaking this to some of us. An easy life situation is usually a sign of abdication. Abdication is a bigger word than I normally use. I read a book one time and learned it on accident. I apologize. It, it means when we're leaving a responsibility, when we have a role that we know we should be in and we leave it. And if right now life is, is just easy, it's not that I want life to be difficult, but I do believe that we're called to do challenging things. I do believe that right now in our city that there's enough hurting families that are far from God that, that it calls the church and the people of God to rise up in a way that feels like work. In a way that means that it might cost us some other activity, it might cost us some influence in, the other, in other people's eyes, it might cost us some financial abilities to be able to invest in the church moving in our city the way that it should. It might make it hard for, for a while. It, it might where you, know, where you come up 
from the day, and whether it's serving here or serving at Harry Chapman Food Bank or at one of the homeless ministries that are throughout our region, there's so many opportunities to serve, and I'm not saying it has to be at Gulfside, but I am saying as the people of God, who our heartbeat is going to reflect the heartbeat and the lifestyle of Jesus, who would follow the call of the Holy Spirit into doing difficult things, that sometimes it's going to feel like work. That kind of like as it talked about with scuba diving, that when you get back up to the surface, you're like, wow, I saw some really cool things that I, because I did that, but man, I'm exhausted right now. But I know that if I didn't dive in, that if I didn't go deep, there's experiences and sights and opportunities that I never would have gotten to see. So church, Where are you striving? Where are you working? Where is your calling? Maybe it's here within Gulfside somewhere. I tell you, we need people across the board as our church is growing. It doesn't have to be here. But I'll tell you this much. If you're a Christian who's been walking with Christ for a little while, I believe that he calls you to serve somewhere. I believe he calls you to give somewhere. I believe he calls you to push this kingdom and message forward somewhere. So where are you striving? Where is God leading you towards that might be challenging, it might be difficult, it might be stretching, but it also might be that part of the heart that you've been looking for, that passion that you've been wondering, what is it gonna be in my life? Might be the best step forward you've taken in a long time. You've got to take it. You've got to choose. God invites you, but you have to choose. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are patient with us, that you are loving, but that you also challenge us and you call us into greater things. So, Father, for each one of us as we process, Where's, where, where is my challenge? Where, where is my striving? Where is the wilderness that I got to walk through? The things that I need to learn? Where is that going to be? Where is that right now in my life? Help us to walk boldly into it with no fear because we know that as we walk into it, we will find you there with us every step along the way. So we give you our obedience and our love. Jesus' name. Amen.